But church, let me invite you to open the scriptures with me this morning to the New Testament letter of First Timothy. As we come to the end of that letter, First Timothy chapter 6, uh, we'll conclude this series that we've been in for several weeks now today. That we've titled uh, Blueprints for a Gospel-Centered Church. And just so you'll know where we're going, next week we'll begin a new message series uh, under the heading, He is Knowing God by Name. So for the duration of the summer, we'll be looking at some uh, names or titles for God uh, through which he teaches us about who he is, uh, instructs us in his character. But today we do come to First Timothy chapter 6, and we'll begin in verse 11 and go to the end of the chapter. As we prepare to look at God's word today, uh, I want to begin by saying that God is, is pro-life. Uh, when I use a term like that, uh, I know I'll probably get your attention because uh, you may think that I'm about to get political. Uh, but when I say God is pro-life, I don't mean that God is a Republican. Um, if you were to look up the term pro-life, then you would likely read opposed to abortion or opposing abortion and euthanasia. And while I certainly think that that God, in fact, I'm confident that God is pro-life under those parameters. Uh, I want to propose that that definition for our purposes today as it relates to understanding God and His character is too particular. It's too limiting. Uh, it's too specific. When I say God is pro-life, I mean that God is for life. All of life. Our God is life-giving. He is life-sustaining and He is life saving and not just physical life yes that but also spiritual life or life in him you see god calls us to experience abundant life in christ now right now our god calls us us as believers he calls us to experience abundant life in christ now you know some of the best-selling books in recent decades have uh, talked about life and bettering your life, improving your life, finding more significance in life or simply enjoying life. I think of books like The Purpose Driven Life or uh, Man's Search for Meaning, um, Your Best Life Now uh, or Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And the list could go on and on and on. And all of these certainly contain some elements of truth. Some, I might add, more than others. But according to Paul... According to the scriptures, according to God, if you know Jesus, your best life is not now. Your best life will be when the trumpet sounds and all God's people are gathered to enjoy the provision, the presence of Jesus Christ forevermore. But even so, even so, God does want you and me to experience abundant life in Christ here and now. God's pro-life character extends far beyond beating hearts and expanding lungs to joyful celebration and unending satisfaction and unbroken communication with this very one who made you, who made you to glorify him by knowing him and enjoying him forever. Friends, we await the forever. We look forward to the day. We await the forever, but we begin the knowing and the enjoying right here, right now. God calls us to experience abundant life in Christ. Now, so what does this look like? I think the scriptures help us to that end. So let's, 
Let's hear from the Lord through his word. As you find your place in 1 Timothy chapter 6, let me invite you to join me standing for the reading of God's word. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11, Paul writes, he says, But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who, while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honor and might forever. Amen. Let's bow together. Lord, we do acknowledge this morning that you are worthy of honor and glory forever and that you will receive such forever. Father, as we... Strive to understand the truths of your word now and apply them to our lives as your people. Be glorified in us. Guide us by the presence and power of your spirit. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, church, as we uh, conclude this letter that we've been journeying through, we're challenged alongside Timothy, uh, I think, on two major fronts or in two major ways at the end of this letter. And the first we see right here in these verses, verses 11 through 16. And it is that we must devote ourselves to God, knowing Jesus will return. We must devote ourselves to God, knowing Jesus will return. You know, throughout this letter, Paul's instructions have been rather direct. We've made note of that a couple times, that he is to the point. He says what he intends to say, and he says it rather quickly. But he does so here, I think, because the health of the church is on the line. Some false teachers have assumed leadership positions in the church in Ephesus and the church's gospel witness in that city is at stake. It's on the verge of of compromise. Friends, these, these issues matter. For if believers don't cling to Christ and life in Him, then countless souls will fail to hear about the need to repent and receive forgiveness through the blood of Christ. Believers in every age must cling to life in Christ, for there is a real enemy who opposes us. According to the scriptures, opposition abounds, threatening our faithfulness. Opposition abounds, threatening our our faithfulness or our devotion to Jesus. You see, Paul's tone suggests a real struggle. A battle, a war that is going on here, taking place, a a battle uh, Timothy is to engage in for his own sake and for the sake of the church. In fact, he's just warned in the preceding passage, the verses that we looked at last week, about arrogance and quarreling, about the love of money and wandering from the faith. And then in verse 11, his words turn sharply to his colleague in the ministry, Young Timothy, and he writes, but you, Timothy, in other words, beware of of these false teachers who have drifted from the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ, who 
are characterized by arrogance and a desire to bring division into the church, running after, chasing after financial gain. He says, but but you, Timothy, man of God, verse 11, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. In other words, run from whatever dishonors God and run after the things of God and do so, believers, with a sense of urgency and devotion because there is an enemy, the devil, who wants nothing more than to exert his anger and his frustration against God with attempts to distort the gospel and to destroy the church. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 reminds us as Christians that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Believers must devote themselves. We must devote ourselves to God because without the presence and strength of God, we will succumb to the craftiness of Satan. Though he is no match for the Lord, his power far exceeds ours. He does know about our tendencies to sin. And he longs to destroy us. Longs to destroy our marriages. He longs to drive a wedge between parents and children. He longs to lure us away into immorality. He longs to to, to capitalize on our tendency to cling too tightly to Money and materialism and the things of this world. Longs to do whatever else lures us away from life in Jesus. He wants nothing more than to lure the world into hell. So we must be on guard. The scriptures call us to be on guard, devoting ourselves to God until our Savior returns. This language of fleeing and pursuing, of fighting, grasping, portrays an urgency to resist the devil and his agents, remembering that God is sovereign, that our Lord Jesus will return. He will come again in the Father's perfect time. For while Satan longs to destroy us, God longs to save. God longs to save. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, text that we looked at several weeks ago, that says God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And friends, God is at work. Our God is at work. He's at work to that end. In fact, Paul is reminding Timothy that, that when it comes to faithfulness and devotion to our Lord, it is God who motivates and God who supplies. God motivates and God supplies. In the sight of God, verse 13, reminds us that God is with his people. The good confession of, of Jesus before Pilate Verse 13 reminds us that our Savior was faithful to finish the task, providing unending forgiveness of sins, even when it cost him his life. The language of the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 14, reminds us that this King of kings and Lord of lords, verse 15, is unmatched, he's unequaled, he's incomparable, and he will be praised forever and ever by the redeemed for whom he has is And will continue to provide. His glorious persona. And his gracious character. Spur those who know him. To flee the things of this world. And to pursue abundant life in him. 
Friends, life is a, is a key word in this text. Take hold of the eternal life, verse 12, to which you were called. In the sight of God, verse 13, who gives life to everything. Verse 19, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Friends, God is the God of life. And he desires you, he desires me to thrive and to flourish as his people now. Not because we have the biggest houses or the most stuff or because we have the most friends or the best health care or anything of this world, but because we know we are right with him and loved by him and invited to spend our days living for his glory. That's the abundant life that Jesus gives. That's the true life that he offers us, that he extends to us. It's the life that Paul reminds us to pursue. God calls us to experience abundant life in Jesus Christ now by his character and through his plan, God motivates us to follow him. And then he supplies everything we need to live a life that's pleasing to him. This is what our children are going to be hearing about all week. Vacation Bible school. Turning again and again to the theme verse of Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. God's divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. See, God calls us to a godly life, meaning belief and behavior that honors him. He motivates us to that end by his gracious character and his perfect plan. And then he supplies everything we need to live for him. So let's live for him. Let's live for Jesus as we serve him passionately. Let's be servants of his. Let's serve him passionately. Are you serving Jesus? Are you serving Jesus? Are you serving yourself? Are you serving the king? Life is found in serving the king. A charge here to fight the good fight of the faith portrays the heart of what Paul is saying, I think. The, the word in the original language of the New Testament, the Greek, is agone. Similar to our English word for agony. When Paul tells Timothy to fight the good fight of the faith, he's saying agonize. Compete, contend, struggle to believe in God and to trust in him so that you live for him. Friends, when I think of the intensity of the description that Paul portrays here, I I can't help but think of the gym. I know I don't have to remind you of this. You probably all noticed my new chiseled look, but I've been working out again. After a long, long hiatus, just a couple of weeks ago, I tried out a new machine. And I'll say this, if you haven't seen the pictures in the hallway downstairs, somebody got it wrong for me. But I tried out a new machine at the gym a couple of weeks ago. It's called the uh, Cybex 610 Arc Trainer. Uh, it looks sort of like a, a hybrid between the old school Nordic track, remember those, and the elliptical. Uh, and I have to be honest, you know, um, true confession here. When I passed those machines, I didn't pay a lot of attention to them. So that's sort of a ladies' machine. But you know, on this particular day, don't be offended, ladies. On this particular day, I decided, you know, I just need a few minutes to warm up my muscles before I hit the really heavy stuff. So I'm going to jump right on. And, uh, you know, my mentality when it comes to working out is sort of get in, get it done, get out, no time to waste. Uh, so I hop on and, and go to town full speed. 
no lie. Uh, I look down at the screen after a few seconds and it says max speed. There's nothing to this. This thing cannot keep up with me. And then about 10 seconds later, my legs are on fire. I tone it down just a bit. Don't have to worry about that max speed thing anymore. But the burning sensation doesn't go away. You know, it's not a good sign when you're working out or doing something that you don't particularly enjoy and you're continually looking at the time or you're continually counting uh, every quarter lap on the track. It's not a good sign. I remember looking down thinking, I've got to get to five minutes. And it said one minute, 37 seconds. I waddled my way to five minutes and I'd be lying to you this morning if I didn't admit there was an agonizing fight. In all seriousness, the, the Bible declares that we are we're to faithfully follow Jesus here. Here, on, on this earth, in the midst of constant attacks by the devil and ongoing temptations to succumb to the sinful ways of the world. And that, that pursuit is like, according to the scriptures, an agonizing fight. It is tough constantly under attack by the devil and battle the old sin nature and new life in Christ to enjoy the life Jesus gives here we must learn to flee and pursue and Paul paints this picture again in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 22 he says flee the evil desires of youth run away from things that dishonor God and pursue pursue righteousness faith love and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart you see fleeing alone is insufficient. Certainly, we need to flee. We need to flee from things that dishonor Christ. We don't need to play around with that. We need to run. But we don't need to just aimlessly wander. We need to run after the things of God. We must turn to the things of Christ. We must replace the the worldly lyrics with the life-giving word of the living God. We must exchange the pornography for community in Christ. We must replace bitter quarreling and divisive words with words of truth and love. We must turn from idle doubt and engage in singing hymns of praise to the God who is our ever-present help. We must flee the devil and follow the Lord because unlike with the devil, we can trust the Lord fully. Trust Him fully. We can trust Christ fully. You know, as he faces opposition from false teachers bent on creating division in the church in Ephesus, Paul reminds Timothy of the immortal and almighty God whose son will return, verse 15, in his own time. In other words, though difficulty may surround you here, and it often does, God reigns and Jesus will return. You can trust him. We can trust him. Let's trust him. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. The Spirit says that the abundant life, the true life, is life devoted to God. And a vital part of that is stewarding the gifts that He gives us and stewarding them well. We must steward God's gifts as we await eternity with Jesus. 
I'm going to steward his gifts, what he's entrusted to us as we await eternity with Jesus. I think that's the truth that Paul conveys in the final verses. So let's turn our attention to those verses. Beginning in verse 17, Paul continues. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Verse 20, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in so doing have departed from the faith. Grace be with you all. In these final few verses, initially, uh, Paul's words about riches and, and wealth may seem a bit out of place, but I think upon second reading, we see that this fits right into what he's saying about living for Jesus here in the here and now on this earth as we wait for eternal life with him in heaven. To truly live here is to put your hope in God alone. Let's put our hope in, in, in God alone. Paul says to Timothy, just command those who are rich not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. You see, we must flee self-reliance and self-confidence and self-centeredness, which are at the heart of our sin problem, and acknowledge our dependence upon the God who made us and the God who provides for us. King David, at his best, I think, understood the insufficiency of self-sufficiency, leading him to sing these words, Psalm 62, verse 5, Yes, my soul find rest in God. My hope comes from Him. My, my hope is, is not anything I could do or accomplish. It doesn't reside in me. My hope is in Him. Truly, He is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. See, true hope comes from Him. Let's put our hope in Him. Let's put our hope in God. What might this look like? How might this be applied? Consider Jim a college senior who fasts from lunch every Thursday in order to devote his half hour to time communing with God, reminding himself, being reminded by God that, that God supplies his needs, that God is all satisfying, that God is good. And, and intentionally setting aside those few dollars that he would spend on lunch that day so that he can afford to invite an unchurched friend over for lunch on Saturday, hoping that he might have an opportunity to talk about Jesus. Or consider Catherine, a successful marketing strategist who volunteers pro bono work at the local Christ-centered charity in town. Because she longs to see people shaped by Jesus Christ more than she longs to pat her pockets. You know, the Bible isn't suggesting a reckless way of living that fails to account for the future or fails to plan ahead. The Bible's not condemning wealth. That's not what the Spirit is saying here through Paul. But, but those who know this God, those who know the God of the Bible, know that there are no 
truly self-made people and that all goods and riches attained here will soon fade to nothing. They will come to naught. In a moment, they will be gone. Temporary, fading treasures that have no bearing on eternity. And since this is the case, since we know the eternal God, we don't get too attached here. We're not interested in making a name for ourselves here because this world is not our home. Meadowbrook is not your home. Eagle Point is not your home. Greystone, Brook Island, Chelsea, Inverness is not your home. Nor is this life really about us. Our true and lasting identity isn't found in a place here or in riches or fame, but in a God who claims us as his own, as his people, as his servants, as his children, as the objects of his affection. You see, by his mercy, God gives us his ever-satisfying and unconditional love. And when we realize this, And when we receive this, we begin to use what he has given us to point others to him. Those who who experience abundant life in Christ here and now are people who begin to give generously, sacrificially, and thankfully. They give. They give. We, We practice faith in Jesus when we depart from preoccupation and attachment to worldly treasures See, those who live abundantly in Christ understand that whatever earthly belongings they possess find their origin in God, thus they should be used to honor Him. So if you have excess food, give thanks to God for abundant provision and then feed your neighbor. If you're wealthy in this life, and truth be told, nearly every one of us are compared to the world at large, then let's be people who give generously to the ministry of the church and the relief of the poor. God calls us to experience abundant life in Jesus Christ now by distancing ourselves from preoccupation with the stuff of this world and delighting in knowing and serving Him. Fleeing and pursuing. Pursuing Him. We must steward God's gifts as we we await eternity with Jesus. According to the way this text goes, Closes, I think the greatest gift that we're called to steward, the greatest gift we've ever received, is the message of salvation itself. It is the gospel itself. Paul turns to Timothy, verse 20, he says, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. Or guard the deposit entrusted to you. This deposit is the gospel. It is the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is the life in him that Paul writes in this letter to contend for. It is the message that is at stake. It is the central news of salvation by God's grace applied to our lives by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Above all else, Paul says, guard the gospel. This is contend for the true message. Let's be people who contend for the gospel in our hearts, in the church, and in the world. Contend for the gospel in your heart, in your own life. Maybe front and center. Remind yourself of what God has done for you through Jesus Christ. Contend for the gospel in your heart. Contend for the gospel in your church. May all our ministries and activities and trips and pursuits and conversations ultimately find their source and significance in Jesus and his cross. Contend for the gospel in the world by proclaiming the good news of salvation 
near and far to the people of this world. You want to live the abundant life, then cling tightly to Jesus Christ. Hold on to him. Don't swerve. A lot of cautions in this letter about swerving, wondering, departing. Don't swerve from forgiveness through Jesus. Paul's last words here to Timothy, his son in the faith, as he describes him, resembles some other last words, some last words of the late Billy Graham to his own sons and, and daughters. Words that were revealed just a few days ago in his last will and testament. Billy Graham began that 16-page document with a charge to his remaining family. Listen to what he wrote. He said, I, I ask my children and my grandchildren to maintain and defend at all hazards and at any cost of personal sacrifice the blessed doctrine of complete atonement through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ once offered and through that alone. In other words, he, he charged his, his family that stayed behind, that's still here, to do what Paul charged Timothy to do, contend for the gospel. To maintain a singular and central focus on the message of forgiveness of sins through Jesus. Friends, may we too maintain and defend the gospel message entrusted to us, for as we cling to it, God's grace will be with us and will guide us to experience abundant life in Jesus Christ here and now. Let's bow together. Lord, we thank you for your provision. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your sacrifice, for the gift of forgiveness of sins and salvation through Jesus. Lord, you have been so good to us. You have been compassionate and gracious with us. You've been patient with us. You have given us what we do not deserve. Lord, you have entrusted so much to us, most of which is the message of forgiveness through the blood of Christ. Lord, may we be good stewards of it. Lord, may we be a people who devote ourselves to you until our Lord Jesus Christ returns. Lord, use us for your glory. Guide us now as we respond to you, as we worship you, as we lay our lives before you. Work in us. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.